what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Hey, I'm Amy Chang, and I'm a nationally board-certified health and wellness coach, and this is Healthy AF. Here, we're going to bring to you all things health. You'll hear stories of people who have transformed their health and in the meantime, transformed their lives. We'll answer those burning questions about the newest health strategies, and we'll tackle some common roadblocks that my clients bring to me all the time. Lastly, we're going to talk to some practitioners who will bring to you different modalities that they're passionate about and how you could benefit from using those. So buckle in. We're going to be inspired, instructed, and have a little fun with Healthy AF. Hey there, everybody. I am so excited about this episode of Healthy AF. I've asked my friend, Wynn Craft, to um, come and share a little bit with us about his story. He has inspired me and really um, shown me some insights about mindset that a lot of my clients and myself struggle with. And so I'd like for you guys all to just welcome my very special guest, Wynn Craft. Hey, Wynn. Hey, Amy, how are you? Thank you for I'm having doing, me on. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, when, well, nobody knows. When and I first met when I was about 14, um, braces, hips coming in and all, very awkward time of life, and uh, went to high school together. And since then, when... Um, has been very open about sharing that he's been diagnosed with stage three pancreatic cancer and has posted his journey with that among other things. And I read those and we've reconnected a little bit and the things that he shares vulnerably and the insights that he has had and grown through, uh, I couldn't pass up an opportunity to bring those to the world, really, whoever listens to this podcast, my clients. Um, so here we are, uh, ready to hear his story. So when from the, from the deepest place in my heart, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I did mention that when I was 14, I met you. And would you like to share how we met? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well, I guess we met in school, but but we took dance class together, I think is what you're talking about. Yes. Uh, so uh, we were laughing earlier um, because at the time we took dance class, uh, Dirty Dancing had come out. And so the popular Oh, it's crazy. huge. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knew Dirty Dancing. Every recital was going to have an angel lift in it for sure. And ours was no different. Um, and being one of the only few guys in the dance class, um, I had to rehearse with all of you. Uh, and so a lot of lifting and a lot of falls and uh, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of crotch in face. Because um, <laughs> yes. if you picture the angel lift, if it moves motion forward all the way back, all the way down through my back, your crotches land right in my face. So when you said awkwardness about... Uh, braces and hips coming in. By the way, that was her, not me. I didn't wear braces and I had no hips. 
and still <laughs> and but either. Um, but um, but yeah, so there was a lot of awkwardness uh, between us when we first met. So yeah. 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 And, you know, I'm I'm a firm believer that when you meet someone in that stage of life, that <laughs> it is just like my body has totally changed and I don't know what to do with it. I feel weird um, in, you know, a multitude of ways. And, you know, in dance in particular, I do think that there is a is a distinct vulnerability, especially with a partner dance, you know, each other touching each other's bodies at 14 and 15, lifting each other up. That's a lot of trust, you know, and, and working on the timing. You know, I think that was, I would jump too early or, you know, it was when it worked, it worked great and it was beautiful. And then the other 85% of the time my crotch was in your face. (laughs) Yeah. We're hand in crotch as we got to the lift. I mean, like it just, there's a million awkward. Yeah. 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 So I'm so glad to, so glad to have a special bond with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, among me, you and, uh, and others. Yeah, um, and a handful yeah, of others. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's funny. For sure. Well, <laughs> when I told you I wanted to start with, with one question, um, and really it's the question that uh, had me bring you on. So I was reading one of your Facebook posts, and you've been very generous with sharing your experience um, from diagnosis of pancreatic cancer and also your experience as a recovering addict and alcoholic um, with 12-step programs, which are near and dear to my heart. And one post I read really resonated. And it said, I'm in pain, but I'm not suffering. That's a place that... um, I find myself and a lot of my clients revolving around how do I be in pain, um, but not suffer? What's the difference? How do I identify it? How do I shift from it? And you mentioned that in one of your posts that was so beautiful. And I wondered if you would share with us uh, your experience with pain and your experience with suffering. Uh, yeah, so so uh, let me first say that um, you know with uh, with pancreatic cancer there is no um, there is no remission with pancreatic cancer. There's uh, and I am I'm in treatment, and I think the day I posted that I was um, uh, I'd had some chemotherapy um, maybe the day or two before that post, and usually the second or third day is is a lot worse. Um, I've I've now had six treatments. I think around then maybe I had the fourth treatment uh, when I posted that. So things were getting um my my body was is, is struggling and, and those things. Also with pancreatic pain with pancreatic cancer, um, they say that's the worst pain that you can be in, especially if if the tumor is on the rear uh, part or on the tail of the pancreas, and that's where mine is. So um, so pain is expected first off, I should say, and um. And it is real. <laughs> and <clears throat> I don't know what the worst pain is, but I will tell you, this is the worst pain I've been in in my life. Um, uh, but that said, when I said I was in pain, but not suffering, see, I believe suffering is um, suffering comes from fear, fear that pain will never end. And uh, so, you know, for me, I don't live in a lot of fear. And, 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 and that may surprise people, but the reality is my faith is strong. 
And I, I know that we're gonna um, we're gonna talk about health, and we can't talk about health without talking about science. Um, uh, but um, you know, uh, leaving kind of religion out of it, I'll, 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 at least that's a personal choice. Uh, I'll say that um, that faith, my faith, is strong. Uh, that there is a, a, that we are spiritual bodies, and that there's a life after this, and this physical body is what's in pain right now. So I believe there is relief coming. Uh, pain is made. We have all kinds of coping mechanisms and ways that we can deal with pain, healthy and unhealthy. And I've used all of them, I think, uh, up at some point in my life. But what I found the the best um, uh, the best knowledge I can I could probably share is that is pain is is fleeting. It will end at some point. Um, it may end in a in a in a death uh, by death, or it may end by uh, whatever problem is going on will be fixed. In this particular case, um, we are doing treatment with the idea not of of going into remission with cancer or to get rid of cancer. That you know, with pancreatic again, that's those are not options really at the stage I'm at. But we're, we're, what we are doing is trying to relieve some of the pain so that I can um, at least have a little more quality to the life uh, time that I have left. Uh, so, so for me, it's about faith. It's just knowing that, like, I'm not suffering because I'm not afraid. Uh, there's a fear that this pain won't end. I know it will end at some point. Mm. Um, uh, it doesn't take away the pain. It just takes away the suffering. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. And I think that's a beautiful way to um, separate the two in that um, the suffering is fear and the antidote to fear is faith. And I know that earlier we had a conversation about there were times that your faith was not as strong. Um, you know, if you look at the, by the way, when we talk about health, when you look at the um, wheel of health that Duke Integrative Medicine uses for all the health coach training, spirituality is one of the six realms on that wheel of health. So, you know, again, you pointed to religion and, uh, you know, you, you, I think you said like, we don't need to get into religion because what I'm talking about is faith. Um, and yeah, that spirituality and that faith realm is what I'm hearing you say combats your fear, which lim- eliminates your suffering. Right. And you mentioned before in a conversation we had before we started our podcast that you didn't always have that faith. And watching your mom and your grandparents die um, gave you a new perspective on that faith. Will you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So, so, uh, so what I told, what we talked about was, you know, I I held my grandmother's hand. I was thirty years old. I held my grandmother's hand as she passed at ninety five years old. Um, I was the only one there in, in uh, early morning at, at um, Precise uh, Memorial Hospital in in North Carolina, and. Um, you know, I remember being there, <clears throat> and I, I had, uh, felt her legs, and I could feel like her legs had had, uh, had gone cold, and were uh, so she literally was sort of dying from the extremities in, and um, you know, so all of a sudden she was this sort of just flat body, um, and uh, you know, with having known her for thirty years, um, she'd always been this sort of huge. Um, presence in my life, that presence didn't really go anywhere. Just the body, so it just sort of 
I didn't see it leave the body. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I saw her sitting over in the corner of the room, although I could get to that later, um, where things like that have happened. But but you know, for, for that day, what I knew was that like that the, the, the life inside of her was gone. Mm. It had to go somewhere. You know, that, that's the thing for me, is it had to go somewhere. Same thing with my mother when she passed. Um you know, at first it was a, it was a it was a, a numbness that came over and, and this grieving process that had to happen. But um, somewhere as long as I kept myself open, I realized that she had sort of um, not gone very far. And uh, so my faith in the things that she had taught me, and I'll say that through religion, and I, I grew up in a Methodist church, um, uh, a, a church uh, that would be one of many to um, to eventually take stances. And, and I remember like I was 12 years old and our church had a petition in the back to vote people like me uh, out of church, uh, people like me being homosexual. <clears throat> a whole nother issue we can talk about another day. Right. Plenty about that. But let's just say that, so I felt like religion, it sort of pushed me out in different ways, but the thing that never did for me, and this is mine and my faith, <clears throat> uh, and um, I should say that that's grown stronger um, and we'll talk about that too, about the 12-step program and, and what that's done for me. But but my faith is strong today in a power greater than me that I choose to call God. And, um, you know, I want to go, go, I just want to take a little sidebar and say something really quickly. Much. What color is that shirt? This is a simple little story, but like, I said, what color is that shirt? And I said, well, it's red. And it was a red shirt. And he goes, and you're sure that's red? And I said, well, yeah, that's red. And uh, and then I thought about it and I was like, okay, wait, you know, somebody told me that's what red was and I believed them. Mm. And that's the simple truth. I don't know anything. So as we talk today, um, let me say to your audience, I don't know anything. So, uh, but I know is my experience. And, uh, and my experience is with my faith is that, um, you know, as long as I stay open to something bigger and, 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 and that knowing that it's bigger than me, and uh, and that I don't know anything, um, I can I can believe a lot of things. And but you I know, believe I it is- absolutely love that paradox. And I don't think that I would have been able to uh, roll around in life's mystery and paradox um, without that certain amount of faith that you can both know nothing and have right. complete faith in something. Yeah, absolutely. I think you ha- I, for me, if I don't. If I don't, I'm going to go do what I like to do. <laughs> you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take. Uh, you know, I lived like I was dying for a long time. I'll tell you that. Uh, like, what does it matter anyway? You know, that kind of thought process. And I did, and that that drove in in, in some ways. It was amazing because you know, I was a tobacco farming kid from North Carolina who hopped in the car with 800 bucks to move to LA and took on the film industry and uh, and did did you know had had some pretty good success in that. Uh, you know, it made me fearless in a lot of ways, um, and yet it also uh, also said that I'll, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it and how I want to do it, mm. and that did not work out so well for me always. So, and um, we we can get to that, but like the ultimate thing in the end is to realize that, like, as I'm sort of going through what I'm going through now, is that and and all the things that I've gone through before is my experience has shown me that there is something bigger than me. That absolutely, uh, I'm powerless. Uh, in life and, and 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 with pancreatic cancer again i'm powerless i have faith in doctors i have faith in uh friends i have faith in family i have faith in um 
uh, you know, I have faith in, 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 in a power greater than me that I choose to call God. And it takes all those things for me to, uh, you know, to, to face this thing fear, the, in the fearless way that I am. So when so I say, then, like, again, I, I want to ask you right there, if you don't mind, I want to pin that. You do have that faith, and uh, it's very clear that um, that that is the way you lean in. But there was a time that you didn't have that faith. Will you describe to me um, what specifically you feel like that faith has given you in this particular health crisis? Yeah, well, in this, in this crisis, it's allowed me... Um, uh, Okay, but what it's done for me is this. Uh, my body is is wearing down, like it's happening. Um, you know, it's not just about hair falling out from chemo. It's not. It's not about uh, energy that's lost from from the from the therapies themselves. What's happening to me is a physical body is is dying out. I mean, that's dying. It's dying. That is the science of it. Uh, so, as a man. I can say this, at least as, as this man, anyway, I can say this. Uh, I start to feel pretty useless. Um, I'm not able to do the things that I used to do. I'm not able to take care of things the way I would like to take care of them. I have to depend on others. I have to depend on, uh, well, I just have to be able to, you know, I can, I can only do. So, you know, I th- I, feeling useless, um, purposeless, all, all that stuff. Uh, what it's done for me is um, it's made me realize I have a choice. I can I can either lay down, you know, and uh, and be in, and and suffer, or I can know that this pain is fleeting, that this this time here is fleeting, but that, that it's going to change, and I can make use of the time I have left. And some days, the only use I can find, um, I guess I guess I should say this. So, like when when, when talking about pain. There's all, all kinds of ways you can manage pain. Um, there are all kinds of coping uh, you know, mechanisms. There's medicine. There's all these different ways that we can look at, you know, to treat pain. Um, the best thing I've ever found to treat pain is to help someone else in pain. And uh, so how can I do that with a body that's failing me, that's um, you know, a, a mind that at times is doing that? Um, the best thing I can do is, is to hold on to that faith and get up and um, appreciate the fact that I'm alive today and show up, like suit up and show up, as they say. And uh, so what I found by doing that, uh, and I, I do work a 12-step program and I'm active in that, um, and I have friends and family that see me getting up every morning. And like I said, like you've said, I, I talk about it on Facebook. I, I share the experiences. I have other friends going through uh, chemo, uh, cancer treatments right now, um, other friends in addiction right now. I have other friends... Uh, with other health issues that I have, and we'll talk about that, um, that uh, that see me continually to get up no matter what and suit up and show up. And I know that that in itself, just that one act um, is changing people's lives and helping them to do the same. And I yeah, think that I mean, are- you're doing a podcast right now about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that's another yeah. way that you have you have contributed to to me today, certainly, and I hope to hell anybody listening is being contributed to and inspired. Yeah. You know, you said something 
that um, I wanted to bring to the forefront because I I think that um, it's important. You said that you choose. You wake up and you choose. And I do think that when you recognize that there is a choice, suffering is limited because in in itself, you have been empowered to to see an option and choose what option to take. Do you get that that's what you you did? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, so, so um, it was not all that long ago. I, I had a, I had a, a, what I would say is a, a spiritual awakening or an awakening of some kind, or a, one of those aha moments, as um, Oprah liked to call them. You, you know, where a friend of mine was uh, reading um, from that twelve-step book that uh, we use uh, about the big um, book. Yeah, that one. You know, the, the, love yeah, the big yeah. book. Yeah. So, so my friend was talking, was reading where it's the make, we are the maker of our misery. Um, and he, but he was discussing. He said, "He said, well, you know, we make our own problems." And I thought, this was right after I'd found out about the um, the the uh, diagnosis. And uh, and I thought, I didn't make pancreatic cancer. And then it hit me. I was like, "Oh no, that's not what he said." He said, "We're the maker of our own problems. Pancreatic cancer isn't a problem unless I make it a problem. It's just another experience that I can go through, I can learn from, and hopefully use to help others. And if I." If I look at it that way, it's not a problem. Um, it comes with some with some issues, <laughs> you know. We'll call it that. Uh, but you know, one of them being one of them being that you, when you're doing chemo, you lose your hair and you lose even your nose hair. And so, when your nose runs as it's doing right now, uh, you have to take a your nose. Hold on. Uh, excuse me. No, because <laughs> it just drips. Let me tell you, you're standing there talking to people and your nose just runs and drips right like down your face. You don't even realize it's happening sometimes. So let me tell you, it, it has issues. <laughs> They're only problems if we make them problems. You know what I mean? Like, so it is all about everything centers in the mind. Um, and uh, and so that's the you know, that's where the choices are made, is, is in your mind. Um, and everything else, the thing, the other things I'm powerless over what's you know, I'm powerless over over the outcomes of what's happening, you know, with my body. I can't, I can't control that. Can I treat pain? Yes. I can choose to treat it. Um, you know, for me, many times in life, pains were treated with, uh, alcohol with, um, you know, and, and I, I always say I'm an alcoholic whose disease progressed, uh, to a needle in my arm with methamphetamines. Um, life went, uh, dark for a long time where, but you know, I wasn't, here's what I say. It was a solution. It wasn't a good one. But it was a solution. It was a solution to pain. It was a solution to uh, um, to boredom. It was a solution to a lot of things in life. But uh, it was a it was a bad solution. It was a it was a costly it was a costly it was solution. Extremely costly solution. Mm-hmm. Um, for 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 a time period, it cost me uh, relationships. It cost me uh, home. It cost me well everything in the end. Um, it did except for except for my faith and my and a little bit of hope. Mm. Um, and, you know, so, uh, that's about all I had left, uh, when I hit, when I hit that bottom, as they talked about, um, I would love to tell you, I've been perfect since, you know, like, like since I got sober and like, you know, those things, but like, that's just not the case. Pancreatic cancer still happens. Relationships still end. Um, you know, lots of things happen now, but like the difference is, is, is my choice and how I'm going to look at those things and how I deal with them. It's the most important part. Am I going to? Um, carry them with me and let them 
and suffer through them, you know, with them forever? Or am I going to uh, turn that um, uh, in, this, in, in the ways of helping others and, and being, being, uh, finding purpose again in life? And so as long as there's breath in my life, there's purpose in my life, um, uh, in this body, you know what I mean? In this body. Uh, and, and then when it's done, it'll be done. And, and hopefully, even after that, uh, things continue. Uh, you know, hopefully, this podcast can carry on that message or, uh, and help somebody, uh, you know, somebody down the road will hear this and think, wow, who are these two old people uh, talking? And um, Who are you uh, calling old? You you be old over there by yourself, Mister. Yeah, I think we just hit the five zero, didn't we? You or, know, I did. Yeah, yeah, you know, I did. Yeah. Yeah. For Everything sure, is, is 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 on the other side. You so. know what I think is funny is that you mentioned like pancreatic cancer is not a problem, and uh, as easy as that is for me to swallow. And as seemingly easy as that is for you to swallow, because I think you probably uh, were sitting in a meeting, listening to some uh, words of wisdom from the big book, thinking, how the heck is uh, pancreatic cancer not a problem? And then it probably took you maybe, what, 20 minutes to get to like, oh, wait, actually, it's not a problem. There are so there. I think that concept is huge for people. And I can just list off, and I, I wonder if you would too. All the not problems in uh, your life. Let's let's just go maybe for five each. All the not problems in in your life and my life that um, it seemed like problems at the time. Like it seemed like when my husband left, it was a problem. Not a problem. You know, it seemed like when my thyroid gland stopped working, it was a problem. It's not a problem. Seemed like when um, (laughs) my kids forgot to put on their shoes when I was taking them to school. I swear to God, that happened like three or four times. How do you not get your shoes on when we're getting in the van to go? You know, it's not a problem. You know, when I tore my Achilles, it's not a problem. All those things are not problems when daddy died or or got diagnosed with dementia. It's not a problem. Man, they they sometimes can feel like problems, but if you can wrap your head around that they're not problems, they're just occurrences in life, then what shift is available to you when you take that that mindset? So can yeah. I guess yeah. in that you know, let's go with that. What what not problems did you have you had? Let's get top five. Uh, let's start with um, finding my keys. Uh, not <laughs> a problem. You know what I mean? Like, not near the problem. I made it at many times. You know, that's the small. Yeah, lots of small ones that like we make problems every day that are just not problems. Um, uh, the, the cutting off in traffic. Um, somebody mm. cut you off. Not a problem. It doesn't have to be a problem, but I made it one. You know what I mean? I made it one. Um, okay, so let's go to the bigger. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a um, and I love my parents, but I, I grew up in an extremely abusive household. No alcohol and drugs, um, righteous people, um, hardworking, uh, had, their, had their own issues. Um, and and uh, it seemed, um, 
it seemed like real problems. Like, like oh, I grew up in real problems. And they were they were only problems because I let them continue to be for years. Mm. Years. I lived in uh, I moved to California when I was 20 years old, to East Carolina, and then I moved to L- LA to work in the film industry. I came home once a year, and I blamed the people that um, uh, you know that I I only saw once a year. Um, I took the things that they did when I was young, and I used those as excuses for years. Uh, they were um, they were problems, and the answer to my problems was to drink and drug over it, or or to be bigger, better, smarter, whatever it was that I had to do to to make me feel better about me, because um, you know, or 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 to, or or to make everybody else you know. I, I I tried to hide those problems. I tried to hide those facts about me that I grew up on a farm in North Carolina. I'm so gra- glad I grew up on a farm in North Carolina. I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world today. Um, all of my experiences, I, there's not, there's no regrets. Um, I can use it to help somebody else. The absolute worst things that happened to me, the absolute worst things that I've done, I've used to help other people. They're not problems anymore. But at the time in it, it seemed like a problem. Um, having the money to, you know, getting the power shut off. A problem it seemed like the hugest problem in the world. How would I ever, you know, losing everything? You know, you talk about the list of five. I could go through. I could, I could do this all day. I know, I was, right? It really can be. You can really have the um, excuses and reasons and justifications for all the failures and failing to um, try, failing to show up. You mentioned showing up. Well, so I'll share this. Um, you know, when I was 20 years old, I moved to I moved to LA. Uh, at 21, I got my first job on a on a film um, uh, in, in LA, uh, a very large film with Robert Redford, Michelle Pfeiffer. Some of you guys know it. I was a production assistant. Um, I thought, okay, I've made it. You know, I mean, I spent a year out there, almost a year to the day, and I got my first job on a film, which was in Atlanta. I was given four days on it, but I ended up staying six months on that film. In Atlanta, I, I, I left L.A., went there, worked. And a woman there recommended me for a job in L.A. So um, on Up Close and Personal. And I, I went to work for this lady named Nancy. She took a chance on me and hired me. And um, so here I am. I, I went to pick up film in Hollywood. Uh, that's what production assistants did. We had pagers back in the day. Uh, and uh, and roll the quarters and you would stop at a payphone and call and check in before you went back to set. I did that. And I get this page. Um, here I am, 20 years old. I'm on a huge film, $54 million feature with the biggest stars you could work with, a tobacco kid from North Carolina, uh, you know, farm kid from North Carolina. Um, and I get a page from my doctor's office. When you work on a film like that, you um, for insurance, you have to do a physical. This was uh, 1993. Um, and I get this page, and it's my doctor's office. I stop at a payphone. I'll never forget where the payphone was, uh, what block it was on. And what time of day? And I had film in the car that I had to get back to set. And um, and then there was a nurse at my doctor's office, and she said, "Hey, could you stop by and see, uh, what are you doing today?" I said, "I'm working." And she said, "Could you come by and see um, Dr. Lee?" And I, I, was, uh, I was like, "Well, no, I'm working." And she said, "He really needs you to stop by." And my heart sank. Uh, every dream I had in the world was coming true, and um, every fear, the, the greatest fear I had was just about to come true. And uh, so I said, sure. So I stopped by his office and I walked in. Dr. Uh, Lee's office overlooked all of um, LA. He had one of those windows up, uh, just enough up in the hill, in the Hollywood Hills there in West Hollywood. It looked out all of, you could see all of the way to the beach. 
It was it was gorgeous. And uh, as I walked in, the nurse was to my left, and she said he's in his office. And I kept walking straight. As I did, he's looking out his window. Uh, and he turns to me, and he's got a tear in his eye. And I said, "Go ahead and just say it. Just say it. It's okay." And I and I and I knew what he was going to tell me, um, uh, because everyone was getting uh, the same news, and all of my friends. And uh, yes, uh, I was HIV positive um, at uh, 21 years old. Uh, and uh, I was like, okay. I said, it's okay. Um, and so I, he was the first person I started to take care of in that moment. Um, and, uh, you know, I was the youngest person he had told. Uh, I had a great relationship um, that would end soon after because that's a lot for two young 21-year-olds to deal with. Um, and uh, But we did our best. And uh, But, you know, the, the funny thing was I – I, I left there going, I have contracts right at work and I'm, and my dream is it. So I went, I went back to work that day. Um, mm. And, uh, and that, and that's what I did. I kept moving forward from there. And so, you know, was it going to be a problem or, or not? And, um, and was I, it a problem? I, I, right, right, right. So you go, you know, is it going to be, you know, is it going to stop me from my dream? And in, and I had a choice in that moment. I didn't know the profanity, you know, the, the profoundness, the profoundness of what I was, the decision I was making, and I didn't recognize it then as a choice. That that I see, look back, and I see now. But when I do the inventories of my life and I look at it and I go, "Wow, that was one of those moments where I just I said no, I'm not going. It's not going to be a problem." Hmm. And um, so it continued to go that way. Um, my uh, boss and my best friend uh, later, uh, I worked on uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer for a couple of seasons and um, my boss and that was my best friend and, and, and taught me majority of what I of, of what I knew about filmmaking he was amazing and uh, you know, he too was positive and he was, I mean, at that time they were, at that time they were listing off the people that were dying in the in the unions Yeah, I was going to say like, let's let's take a a pause here because if you were 20 and you graduated in 90, then that was, uh, you said 93, 92, for, for those people listening who weren't alive in 1993 or, um, who weren't in healthcare in 1993, I, I think I became a nurse in 95, right? So I was in nursing school in 93. Um, HIV and AIDS, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to treat. It was basically like a death sentence. Was you, you were going down. And as healthcare practitioners, we didn't even know if literally we could touch you without being gloved. Right. It was a hard, hard, hard time. And so let me say, in, in, in LA and San Francisco and Atlanta and DC and bigger cities like that, where you know, you had large, uh, large numbers of people dying. They were, they were dying. Like you said, people were afraid to touch them. People were afraid to be there. So in our community, the LGBT community, we, I don't know, something we, we pulled together and, and, and um, it was a time where you, you couldn't, you couldn't make the funerals. You couldn't get to all of them. Your friends were dying left and right. And in the back of like Variety magazine and, and Backstage West magazines, they would list all the union members from the film industry that had died uh, over that week. And I mean, weekly, you had three or four pages of names. Um, so your colleagues were dying. They were letting anyone into the unions. Um, 
that would show up later in, in, in the quality of films for a while. But um, at that time, uh, you just took care of each other and you did your best. And so AZT was the option at the time, the drug AZT. And uh, it was, it was, uh, I carried four or five pair of underwear with me to work. And, um, and uh, the headaches were so insane. You, could, you couldn't hardly concentrate to get anything done. When, why that did was, you carry underwear to work? Uh, because the AZT would make you sick and you would, you would mess your pants. And, and I didn't know that. Awful. It was awful. So that was no way to live. And I just chose, I said, forget this. I'm not doing it. Uh, the AZT is what's, I, I believed that it was, and I don't believe, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I, don't, I mean, I don't know, but I think they were trying to figure out how to help us. I, that's what I believe. Now, this is, this is me, but I don't think anybody was giving us a drug to kill us. I think they were giving us the only drug they had. And, and, and it worked enough to maybe get maybe somebody through. Maybe I was one of those people. I listened to my body, though, and I knew that it was, it was, it was tearing me down. And I was like, this is not, this is not worth it. I choose quality of life. And my best friend and boss begged me to take that medicine. And he took his religiously. And, um, and you know, he died. And, uh, hmm. and so I chose quality and got quality and quantity. Um, he chose quantity and it didn't work out. You and know so, what? And there again um, is the powerlessness. Well, and I'll tell you, it, it became a problem because survivor's guilt was something very real in my life and drove yeah. my addiction more than anything. Why did they let me live? He's the one that wanted to. I, I just wanted to live like I was dying. Yeah. And, um, you know, so so all I know is that listening to my body at the time probably saved my life uh, because because eventually better drugs came. And I don't know why I was spared long enough until they came, but but that's that's what it was. Um so and, and and you know today I don't question that why either anymore. I've stopped asking why. Why will why will get me drunk? Uh, why yeah, I was going to say when did you when did you learn to stop asking why? Because you're right, that's a big one. Like why did I not take the medicine and survived? Why did he take the medicine and live? And I'll tell you, it, when I look back on my nursing career, just the two years I spent in the cath lab, we had a 50 year old dude come in. He re- didn't have really any you know, any bad symptoms. We thought he was going to be fine. He's supposed to get married next day. Did a cath on him. His coronary arteries were clean. Sure as shit. He coated on the table and died. Then we had another dude who was, you know, an older gentleman. He had some significant blockages. We coded him for, I don't even know how long I broke. I don't know how many of his ribs during chest compressions. Cause I mean, you go for 45 minutes, you're going to break some ribs. I wondered if we had done him a service and I wondered if he was going to have the brain um, uh, home and sure shit. Three weeks later, cardiologist uh, had said, Hey, remember that guy he's being discharged today. So I went up to see him just to see him. And I said to him, I really did not think that you were going to make it out of here. And so for me, when I think about listening to your body, when I think about faith and science and how they impact and revolve around health, you don't know. You really don't know if you take your medicine, is it going to protect you or is it going to be something that actually you don't need? 
and healthcare providers as much science as we have. You know, you don't pick when you leave the world. (laughs) You just don't. And you're right. The guilt that um, can sit on not just the friends and families and other people afflicted with that same disease, but on the healthcare practitioners. Yeah. Uh, how come we could save that one, but we couldn't save this one? So when did you learn? Because that's a skill when that's protective, not just for addicts, but for all of us. When did you learn to give up the guilt? Uh, probably it was one of the first things I guess I dealt with somewhere along the way of, um, yeah, I mean, the journey of sobriety has been over the last 10 years. Uh, I have uh, less than a year of sobriety again. Uh, but um, uh, so let me don't sound like I know a whole lot there either. Uh, but let me say this. Um, we start to look at ourselves. We start to we, we start to take personal inventories. We start to um, assess and, and look back at our lives. I had to realize it didn't matter why I was still here. It just mattered that I was still here. Mm. Um why the why was you know I had done the poor me the why why how could God give me the parents he gave me I love my parents my parents were good parents and, and as best you know they did some bad things um, and they weren't the best parents maybe I don't know <laughs> I don't know what a good parent looks like I, I I'm not a parent but what I am is um you know you mentioned your dad had dementia and my dad has Alzheimer's uh, so yeah. he's in, he's in memory care now. When I went up to clean up his um, home and get him into memory care, uh, my dad's forgotten everything that ever that he ever did. And I realized that those resentments I was carrying, I really was the only one carrying them and the only one that was, it was the only one that was it was making sick. Yeah. Uh, but you know, so all the why he did what he did is gone. There's no way to know now. You know, like that helped. Um, that helped me look at the you know those whys and realize what they were doing to me. Um, why did why did I live? Why did I get it in the beginning? You know, why, you know, why was just getting keeping me sick? Because I don't know. There's no way until I know. I don't know. It's so, the wrong question. Yeah, it's the wrong question. Like, like at some point, you realize the why is the wrong question. Like you can learn what you can learn. Like you know, half of my job. Actually, I'll say more than half. I'll say that probably seventy five percent of my job is helping people reflect. So that's like looking back, what can we learn? What can we scrape out? What can we get, you know, what really worked well? What really didn't work well? What do we need to tweak? You know, move forward, move forward, move forward. And 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 as a patient, as a patient, that's absolutely necessary that you be honest with your healthcare provider, whatever type of healthcare provider you are. If if it's about nutrition or if it's about this, tell them everything you eat. You know, like be honest about it. Don't hold back and and don't be like, don't be hiding no ho-hos. You know, tell them the truth. Because <laughs> I'm yeah, a lot of people have said throughout this whole cancer thing, well, you know, sugar feeds cancer. I'm like, well, good, because it's hungry. And, um, <laughs> and my doctor said to me, eat because you're gaining weight, and most people don't gain weight during this process. You know what I mean? Like, I have not lost my appetite yet because I eat what I want or what sounds good. And, and then, and I've had to figure out a few times, like one day I was craving, I wanted some Sunny D, and I thought, it'll be good. I want it. No, Sunny D uh, with pancreatic cancer. Oh Lord, it made the or with chemo anyway, I should say. Oh my God, it was the worst of the nausea I've had because it, it added in the acid re- reflux with the nausea and yeah. it was painful. No, but I can tell you that as a pancreatic patient, nobody else can tell you that and you're going to believe them. I mean, I'm telling you, you know, like that's the thing is like 
but I can, uh, but I, I can learn from this. And I go, I, I go to a cancer group, and expect um, tomorrow, um, second Friday of the month, and we see, and we talk about those kind of things where we can share experience, and we know, like I, I can trust someone because someone with liver cancer or or lung cancer may not have the same problem I have with like certain. That talk, important for me to talk to my nutritionist about what what type of cancer I have, what's going on, that you know, what am I, what drugs am I taking, what chemos, all those things. If I'm going to someone for like for um, uh, uh, weight training, I need to let them know what you know injuries I've had in the past, what where you know what's going on with my body before I begin, so we know what kind of the right treatments to have. So if you're not honest, you know it's not important why, but it's important what. You know, it's important to know where I've been and, 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 and what they get information. Gosh, uh, all, you know, I almost feel sorry for mine sometimes because I'm like, right. okay, that hemorrhoid two days ago when I pooped, it really hurt. But then right. next, you know, like they get everything. And that's what I'm telling the eye doctor, for God's sake. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> hey, my, my, you know, but my, my oncologist, uh, not oncologist, ophthalmologist, okay. my uh, eye doctor and I, talk about HIV, we talk about addiction, we talk yeah. about cancer, we talk about all of it. How, how, because he wants, I love him, he wants to learn. Um, yeah. You know, if you're, down in, if, you're, if you're in Alabama, Jody's um, uh, objects. We'll put a link, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, you know, okay, so I want to pull out two things that you said that that are so pertinent. Um, one is, you, you use the example of working with a weight trainer and that you have to be able to communicate um, what your body is feeling like and whatnot. Well, ding, ding, you have to listen to your body first. You okay. know, like that AZT gave you the runs, made you feel terrible and you chose not to take it. But in your friend, he could either, he wasn't having that or he could tolerate it. And that's okay. Like even medicines in the exact same disease in two different bodies may work differently. So if okay. you can't listen to your body, and then communicate that to your partners in health, be it a trainer, a health coach, a nurse, a nurse practitioner, a physician, you know, your acupuncturist, your massage therapist, you know, whoever is there in partnering you in your health, then really, you know, you're hamstringing what they can do for you. And then you said, and and you we we talked about this the other night when when we caught when I we called on the phone was the faith you have in your care providers. Right. Now, I'm not saying you should just go and have blind faith in all your care providers. But what I am saying is that if you find that you have a care provider that you do not have faith in, right. you probably have the wrong care provider for you. Well, so so let me say about my friend. So he he, he, he didn't handle it better. And, and, the, and, the, and those things were happening to him. Um. He put a sort of blind faith in in the healthcare system, and because uh, he didn't know what, that that's where he was, he didn't know what else to do but that. Because uh, again, around us, everyone was dying. Yeah, he let the fear take over, and and, and I love him, and so this is hard for me. I, I'm not knocking him by any means. It, there was reason for fear. It was yeah. It was, but well, let me say, come on, yeah. was he older than you when? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you remember in 1990, nobody was saying like, hey, you have a choice in your health care. We were still in the paradigm of you go to the doctor, the doctor tells you what to do, you do it. 
Right. Absolutely. You don't ask, you don't supply extra information. You don't go like, you know, that doesn't really feel right for me. Or I wonder if we could try something different. There was no partnership. It was just, you know, you go and they tell you and you do. And the, and the beauty of HIV care is that they, they, they probably have set the standard now, at least with me. Um, I've seen them. They started to listen to the, they had to they start listening to their patients mm. just as well. And so that's where and you don't get into that field unless you probably are connected anyway. You know what I mean? Like, so agree. Uh, so you ended up having. Maybe the best relationships were formed and new standards were set across, I think, the medical field. Um, because of it. And so something else people really don't realize the impact that it had, it had impacts in lots of many ways of how to raise money. Um, look at what it's done. Uh, AIDS alone helped breast cancer and how they raised money to fight it um, uh, and, and other types of cancer. So, so all that said, coming up to now, um, you know, I realized that uh, me, uh, I realized that I needed to need to be honest with my doctors they need to be honest with me and i had to find so i've made choices you you, you mentioned it like i i've had some wrong care providers uh, that i didn't feel comfortable with um i have a, a surgical oncologist down in birmingham uh and my oncologist work at the same clinic but um you know we have found a way to uh, meet uh, uh with the with the monies and um they work together uh because I trust the surgical oncologist down in, in, in uh, Birmingham. Mm. Not saying I'm going to have surgery. It, as of right now, I have a tumor that's, that's, uh, that's inoperable. Will the chemo help? And you brought up something I want to touch on. So facing pancreatic cancer and chemotherapy to, to fight it, um, I can't take a certain one of the chemotherapies because I can't take it along with my HIV medicine. And um, so while I have pancreatic cancer, Right now, I'm still undetectable and healthy from HIV. That may be helping me uh, go through chemo a little bit too. <coughs> We're not sure, but my doctor and I are learning together, oh. trying to trying to allow him to you know to look at that because my immunotherapies and um, things from my HIV probably are keeping helping me throughout this process. So I had to step down to to Gymstar and Abraxane are my two chemotherapies. Well, okay, all that said. I didn't realize the third option. I knew too of what if I took chemo, what what could happen. So when he, as um, Dr. Doughty explained to me, if um, one option is it, it, that, that it will you know shrink the tumor and and give me some somewhat relief of pain and make the quality of life a little better as as I end it. Um, Timeframes and outcomes they don't give you. Uh, time frame without without chemo he gave me and. Uh, so, but but with the, with treatment with pancreatic cancer, they're unsure of 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 um, they don't have enough information yet to, and they don't have they don't have a good uh, therapy re regime. But they do have is you know a couple options, and that may may like I said shrink the tumor and and give me some pain relief. Second is it may do nothing; it could absolutely do nothing. And be worth nothing except you know it's breaking me down, and I could lose you know that time. What I didn't realize was with the chemotherapies I'm taking, it can also grow the cancer, um, and that has happened in a, quite a few, a large percentage actually of, of of people with with pancreatic cancer. So when he told me that, my friend that goes with me, uh, Carla, and I sat there, and 
I had some big decisions to make. Yeah. And what I decided was um, that none of it really mattered. Uh, the outcome was still going to be the outcome. I have no, I'm powerless over that. But my family and my friends and the people that had um, helped me to get sober, um, my HIV doctors who have worked so hard and diligently to keep me here and, and give me a healthy uh, life, uh, deserved at least that, uh, that I give it a shot. Mm. Um, so, you know, I am now the, the next date available after I have two more chemotherapies to go um, in this cycle. And, uh, uh, and uh, so I did three week cycles, two weeks on um, Wednesdays, I do chemo. And then I have, then I take a week off, to give my body time to you know, build the cells back up. And, um, and then we do, you know, so, so there are three week cycles, I was doing eight, three week cycles, and I have one cycle left. Uh, I'll be getting chemo again next week, and then I'll do it again the next week, and then I'm done uh, with this eight eight uh, cycle um, trial. And then do you rescan? So then I was getting into that. So the, the next day they had to uh, available to scan me um, is July 3rd. So I'll go in and scan on July 3rd. July 3rd is my birthday. Um, oh. You know, God has a sense of humor. Um, <laughs> so good news and bad news, it doesn't matter. News news will be will be great and is welcomed. Um, hopefully, after um, you know, I get that news, and I, the reason I've chosen to go ahead and do it then and not put it off, um, because you know my family's in North Carolina, I'm in Alabama. I want to see my um, I want to see my dad, who's who's in memory care, um, who we've been trying to sort of skirt around telling him what's going on, and yet keep him believing that I do want to be there with him and see him. Um, even though sometimes he doesn't even know who I am, mm. uh, he'll have moments where he's like, somewhere are you? Why aren't you coming? And I'm like, you know, then you're like, he does know what's going on. You know, that's a whole nother. Yeah, oh, it is, uh, we could have a whole conversation. I mean, when I told so, my dad that my husband had left, he was like, yeah. okay. <laughs> like, I was so worried to tell him, I, but with the dementia, well, <laughs> you know, but you don't know what. You you kind of don't know from day to day where you're at, and when you're in that zone where your dad could change from day to day, whether he's suffering because he's realizing he can't speak and process information the way he used to, or the day where he's sort of completely oblivious that that has gone on. Yeah, that could be a whole other conversation. So yeah, I get exactly where you're at. You want to be with your dad, and you want to spare him the details. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah, might yeah. just walk in there and say, like, hey, dad, I've got pancreatic cancer. He'd be like, all right, who are you? <laughs> all right. And that's the thing. So so, a lot, so the, the, in the beginning, we're like, well, let's don't tell him. It'll upset him and all that. You know, what upsets him more is the fact that his, he thinks his son doesn't want to come and see him. Mm. So I'm, I think my brother and I have made the decision that when I do come up, we probably will tell him. And if he has to live that, we decided to hurt from knowing. Like if he has to hurt knowing his son is hurting, um, is better than him hurting thinking his son doesn't care about him. So, you know, tough decisions there too. Uh, life isn't easy, you know, folks. But again, again, that's only a problem. Yeah. If we make if it you a problem. Think it's a problem. Yeah. That's right. Another thing we get to learn and we get to share, hopefully get to share that experience with somebody else who's sitting there going through it with their parent. And because, you know, for everything that's happened to me, it's happened to somebody else. I had a friend, um, I had a cancer scare years back. Uh, when we could, it was a pancreatic cancer scare. So it probably wasn't a scare, but in the end, they, they, whatever they, uh, at the time they they thought they had made a mistake, and so they changed it. And um, it's a little more to that story, but but I'll tell you, 
when I had this cancer scare, I called my friend Beth, and I'll never forget. Um, Beth said to me, "When Lorraine's baby has cancer, and um, and and her, her our, our friend Lorraine's baby had cancer, uh, and um, which had a good outcome, by the way. But but let's let's go back to a lot of suffering there. But you know, I I said to her, I was like, you can't throw a baby cancer at my cancer. I'm allowed to feel something about you know, like mm, I'm to feel yeah. there is always someone worse going through something worse. There's there's always so when we look at the whys, why do babies get cancer? My God, you know, like if I start to question that, you know, I guess they do so they can help the, the parents can help the next parents with a child with a problem. So, you know, that that's that's I don't know what the I don't know in the end anything, but I believe the lesson to be learned is is to love each other, just simply to love each other and to help each other. Um there's something that's, very that's like, it. That that's the wisdom from when. And that's why I ask you to come on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, it's yeah. going to be all right. It's going to be all right. You know, my sponsor says, I'll say, I just want to get messed up. And he'll go, well, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I'll say, well, everything's so effed up. And he'll go, it'll all work out. <laughs> I'm telling you, the sponsor is worth their weight in gold. You got to have a white knuckle grip on that sucker. <laughs> we yeah, just, we, just had, we just had a big old screaming match at each other a few just about an hour ago. Um, <laughs> and, and at the end of it, it's like I love you, I love you too. You know, like because we know to just love each other. At the end of it, we just love each other. Yeah, um, that's at the but, end of it. But, but the truth is, it'll all work out. Yeah, and 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 it may not work out the way we want in the moment or whatever. But the good thing is, 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 is that today I'm sober and I'm, 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 I can be aware that, um, and I can know that, that it'll all work out. And that's why I said there's no, the suffering comes out of the fear. Mm. Uh, pain is, um, pain is temporary, period. Yeah. Thank you so much, Wynn, for sharing with us and jumping down rabbit holes. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, uh, let me know how it works out. I love you. I know. I love you too. And the world loves you. And guys, if you're listening to this podcast and you have not been inspired, then go listen to another podcast. because This is is what we're bringing. And if you have loved that, um, just go love other people and have a great day. You've been listening to The Mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.